Well, good morning. Uh, I'm Evan. I'm on staff here at Christ Central as a pastoral resident, and uh, very grateful for the opportunity to, to be in God's Word uh, with you. If you have your Bibles, uh, would you meet me in James chapter 5? James chapter 5, starting in verse 7, is where we will be uh, this morning. And while you're turning there, uh, just want to let you know we've been walking through a series on the fruit of the Holy Spirit, if this is your first time with us. Uh, the fruit of the Holy Spirit that is found in Galatians 5, uh, verse 22 and 23, and uh, you find there this, this list of nine aspects of the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I think I got all of them there. You can find it there, though. Uh, and uh, this list is not exhaustive. Uh, that's why the list ends with, against such things, there is no law. Uh, but it's also important to, to understand that the fruit of the Spirit is uh, a unit. Uh, it's, it's all in one. That's why Galatians says the fruit of the Spirit is. Uh, that when you're talking about the fruit, it's an aspect of the same thing. Uh, and it's important to understand that because you can't say that you have one part of the fruit and not another. You can't say, uh, I'm good on love, but I could use some work on goodness. I, I'm good on, on patience, but I could use some work on self-control. No, it's, it's uh, a, a package deal. As you uh, think about the fruit, it's like a prism, and you, you turn and see it at different angles, but it's all one. So in many ways, the last several weeks, we've been preaching on the same thing uh, with, uh, with different features. And for me, I get to preach on patience. Patience, Lord have mercy, patience. That's a cuss word uh, in, in 2020, is it not? I mean, there are so many things that are wrong and out of our control, and the refrain has been, be patient, wait and see. And so many people are tired from it. I know I am, and I feel so inadequate to preach on patience. My wife, she is one of the kindest and most gracious people you'll ever meet. And uh, when I told uh, my wife that I was preaching on, on patience, she uh, kindly and graciously turned to me and said, how are you going to preach on patience? Because my wife knows me. Uh, she, she, she knows my many character flaws. And if you were to ask her, what is one of the many character flaws in me, towards the top of the list, she would say, Evan struggles to be patient. I struggle. And, and you know what? I, you know, I've been, been preparing this sermon for weeks now, studying about patience, reading, and, 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 and researching, and, and praying. And, and you know what? I'm not even more patient, even after my study. <laughs> I'm still just as, as impatient. But what has happened is I have grown in my awareness of how impatient I really am. What's happened for me is I con as I consider godly patience, I have seen more my need for God's grace. Many of us are, are struggling uh, with patience. And when I, when I think about 
patience. Uh, there's no scripture that better comes to mind on the topic than James chapter 5. Uh, so let's, let's stand together if you're able and let's read James chapter 5 verse 7 through 11 as we consider uh, how do we walk in patience. This is the word of the Lord. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it, until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. The very words of our God. Let's pray. Lord God, what a privilege it is to know you and to know your word. Lord, I ask that as I speak to the ear, that you would speak to the heart and transform lives. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O oh Lord, our rock and our redeemer, in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. A couple years ago, there was a national crisis in the UK. This national crisis was that they ran out of chicken. I'm serious. I'm not kidding. In 2018, KFC, Kentucky Fried Chicken, ran out of chicken. They had to close their almost 900 stores temporarily uh, because they ran out of supplies. There was some kind of delivery issue that they weren't able to get their services together, and so temporarily they had to close their doors, and the citizens lost their minds. I mean, KFC crisis became a trending hashtag on social media. People were actually calling the police to report it as an emergency. It got so bad that the police had to issue a statement telling the public to stop calling them because this is not the kind of emergency that the police deal with. The outrage was comedic in one sense. But the message from the public was clear. You were made for this, so this is what you should be offering the world. A Kentucky Fried Chicken with no chicken is a problem. But even more so a problem, a Christian with no character is even worse. When the scriptures are talking about the fruit of the spirit, what the scriptures are expressing is, this is what you were made for, and this is what you should be offering the world. 
that as Christians, you should be expressed in a certain way, that to be a Christian and to not uh, express the fruit of the Spirit is a contradiction in terms. Francis Chan wrote a book on the Holy Spirit called The Forgotten God. And in his book, he highlights the importance of the Spirit-filled life. And, And he says, God is not just one thing we add to the mix called life. He wants an invitation from us to permeate everything and every part of us. Then when we're talking about the fruit of the Spirit, what we're saying is it's an invitation to live a life that's permeated by the presence of God. And to be a Christian and to not have love and joy and kindness and peace is like being like a Kentucky Fried Chicken with no chicken. And so it is also with the aspect of patience. Patience. Patience is a hard word in 2020. There is so much that is calling for us to wait, calling for our patience. And if you're anything like me, your patience is wearing thin. My patience is like Margaret Thatcher's patience. Margaret Thatcher once said, I am extraordinarily patient, provided I get my own way in the end. That's me. I'm very patient as long as I get my way, at least eventually. But is that godly patience? What should we do when we don't get our way. James offers some perspective on this in chapter five. And as we approach the text, there's a few things I see that are ingredients for patience. Patience means suffering, anger, and self-denial. Yeah, I know I'm not gonna get a lot of amens right here, but that's patience. That patience means suffering, anger, and self-denial. Patience means suffering. The the idea of, of suffering is often equated with patience in the Bible. I mean, depending on the translation that you're using, uh, instead of the word patience, uh, you'll see things like long-suffering or forbearance. There's a very clear connection between patience and suffering. And in, and in verse 10 and 11, James offers some examples of suffering and patience. He offers two. One is the prophets and the other, Job. And scholars would note that these are the two examples that are offered because these two are the most extreme of the examples of the two types of suffering that we see in the world, moral suffering and natural suffering. Moral suffering. In the, in the prophets, you, you see things like Micah where he says, he has told you, O oh man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you that, but that you act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. You see things like Amos saying, let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. That the prophets were a response to the moral degradation of Israel. 
that there was idolatry and uh, injustice that was rampant throughout, and the Lord sent the prophets to call the people back to the heart of God. And so the prophets went, and they prophesied, and they expressed the word of the Lord, and nobody listened. (laughs) Can you imagine the patience that was needed to give the word of the Lord and to know nobody's going to listen. They didn't get their way. Can, I mean, think of Jeremiah. I mean, Jeremiah spent his life prophesying, all of his life prophesying, and they still wouldn't listen. And then the consequences of injustice and idolatry, the people were taken out of the land into exile, taken from their home, and Jeremiah went with them. He lost his home. He was exiled, and he still prophesied to them. What patience that would have had to take. James says, if you're looking for examples for patience in the face of moral suffering, look to the prophets. But then you have Job. In Job, the Lord says that he was a righteous man, yet he lost so much. He lost his children, his job, his health. He suffered greatly, and his friends came to him, saw the devastation of his life, and were trying to convince him that there was some kind of moral issue going on in his life. But there wasn't. And James commends Job as being steadfast in the experience of suffering of nature the suffering that arises from living in a broken world, regardless of moral imperatives. So James says, this is what you see. This is what I offer you. If you want to understand patience, suffering is the arena in which it develops. Secondly, patience means anger. It means anger. And I know some of you are having a hard time taking that in because some of you are convinced that you cannot be patient but also angry, right? And and then you hear people saying to you, be patient, but what they're really saying is stop caring so much. Stop caring so much because if you stop caring so much, then you'll see it's not really that big a deal. It's not really that serious, But that is not the invitation of godly patience. Anger is not the enemy. I mean, God was was angry. In all of scripture, when you see these depictions of God in anger, it says that he's slow to anger, but it doesn't say that he never gets angry. Because the sentiment of anger is something matters to me and it's threatened. Something matters to me. And it's threatened. So you're you're angry that you have a dirty house because a clean house matters to you. You're, You're angry that you can't find employment because a good job matters to you. You're angry that you can't go back into an in person school because structure and face to face interaction, it it matters to you. That's not the problem caring too much. And for others of us, we like to think of ourselves as being patient, but really, we just don't care. We don't care. But indifference is not patience. 
James shows us what it means to utilize anger for patience. And he offers to us the farmer. We see him in verse 7. The farmer is the first example, and it's the example right after James starts off his discourse by saying, saying, therefore, be patient. Now, of course, rudimentary understanding of language, when you see a sentence that says, therefore, you know that it's trying to connect that thought to the previous thought. And so James is saying, therefore, in light of what's happening in verse 1 through 6, let me, let me read verse 1 through 6 for you. And, and just consider, what is the emotional tone that you're sensing? Can you sense any anger from James? Verse 1 in chapter 5, it says, come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud. They're crying out against you and the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. What's the tone that you sense? Verse 1 through 6. Because I don't sense James being whimsical. I don't sense him being lighthearted. No, I would say he's angry. That he's responding to systemic economic injustice. And he's decrying the self-indulgence. He's, he's decrying the, the, the mistreatment of the laborers. And you sense that there's an urgency, there's an anger, there's a passion. And then he goes to verse 7 and says, how do we respond? Therefore, be patient. Be patient. Now, this isn't that type of patience that was weaponized against Martin Luther King and the civil rights leaders. Now, if you, when you get time, go to Google and look up letter from a Birmingham jail. You'll see that Dr. King is, is addressing this notion of hollow patience and this, this notion of waiting that's been weaponized to be dismissive, that's weaponized to be stifling, and it's a response letter. So go look up the letter that was sent to him called, get this, A Call for Unity where clergy were saying to Dr. King, you just care too much about your dignity. And you see in this letter that Dr. King, he's saying, I don't want a hollow patience. And that's the similar sentiment from James. That James does not call us to be indifferent, does not call us to be dismissive, but actually James says if you're patient, you get to work. You get to work like a farmer. And we see this farmer in verse 7. And to be a farmer in general, but a farmer in particular in first century Israel, took great patience. Israel is not like America. Uh, Israel did not have rainfall at any time of the year. No, 75% of the rainfall in Israel happens on 25% of the land. 
virtually seven months of the 12 months of a year have virtually no rainfall. So it's talking about these early and latter rains. And so the, the farmer, he has to figure out in an agrarian culture how to sustain life. The crops matter to him, and they're constantly under threat. And he can't change the seasons, he can't change rainfall, but he does not use that to be dismissive, to be indifferent. But he engages, he gets to work because he has to care for his family. He has to cultivate the land, he has to live. And so James offers the same example to us, that if you're being patient, Utilize your anger to engage your world. You can't control, but you can engage. Secondly, or thirdly rather, patience means self-denial. Patience means self-denial. Here's the struggle with, with suffering and anger. Suffering and anger always tempts us to be self-centered. It does. It, it, it tempts us to center ourselves. I mean, think of the last time you lost your patience. You were angry, right? But it wasn't just that you were angry. You also were centered on yourself. Because the sentiment of impatience is, how dare you? How dare you make me endure your sin? And that sentiment is the case even when it's for someone else, right? Uh, there's, there's parents that are about to, to send their kids back to school and all this COVID craziness. And so many parents are impatient. And the sentiment is, how dare you not care for my kids in the way that I think you should? Now, again, I'm not saying you should care less. You should care about your kids. You should care about the economy. You should care about your health. You should care about justice issues. Care about it all and more because God cares about it. But who's at the center of it? Who gets to be the judge? Because anger is not expressed in just difference of opinion. No, when you're angry, the sentiment is, I'm right and you're wrong. And you, are, you have the audacity to not see your wrongness. So when you're angry, who, who's really right? In verse 9, we see that James call, raises the concerns and calls our focus to the Lord and says, there is only one judge and you and I are not it. So it begs the question, how do we become angry but not become judgmental? How can we be angry and not be self-centered or self-righteous? I mean, isn't that the, the sanctification need of anger? I mean, you see this, this carefulness all throughout, right? In James chapter 1, you, you see James say, be slow to anger because the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. 
You see, in Ephesians 4, Paul says, be angry, but do not sin. Even Jesus in Matthew 5 in the Sermon on the Mount, he equates anger with murder. That's how dangerous anger can be, yet anger is a natural human emotional response to felt wrongness in the world. It's part of what it means to be made in the image of God. So how can we keep from crossing the line? I think self-denial. Self-denial. Self-denial is the combative to self-righteousness. How, how, do we do, how do we accomplish this? Well, let me ask you this. When you're angry, do you think you're better than the person that you're angry with? Even just slightly, do you think you're at least a little bit morally superior? Because the truth is, if you're a Christian, you're not. You're not better, you're not more righteous, you're not more superior, even if it's your crazy kids. Even if it's your messy roommates, you're actually not better. It reminds me of a story, uh, a prominent magazine some time ago, around the time of the World War, Great World War, World War I. Uh, they were trying to take the pulse of, of the culture and just saw the craziness of the times. And the magazine uh, sent out an inquiry, very simple, and was looking for responses from people. And it simply said, what's wrong with the world? G.K. Chesterton, he responded back and gave the simplest and shortest answer. Dear sir, I am. What's wrong with the world? I am. And Chesterton was not trying to minimize offense, was not trying to minimize the reality of being, the vi being victimized of things, but what he was trying to do was trying to express that if I'm seeing the wrongness of the world and I don't understand that I'm a part of it, but actually rather an integral part of it, self-righteousness is going to grow in that. So what's wrong with my family? I am. What's wrong with my church? I am. What's wrong with my society? I am. If you are not able to understand that when you look at your neighbor, you're more like them than unlike them in their sin, self-righteousness will begin to develop. It's really why I feel like Paul said what he said in 1 Timothy 1. That Paul said, I am the foremost of sinners, yet received mercy so that Christ might display perfect patience. Paul, who wrote the majority of the New Testament, believed that he was the worst sinner that he knew. How? Because he did not want cheap self-righteousness. He wanted the righteousness of God. And when you have cheap self-righteousness, the radar of self-righteousness is, I'm a little better than you, I'm a little better than you, I'm a little better than you, so I feel good about my righteousness. But when you have the righteousness of God, you understand that that is only accomplished by Christ and Christ alone. 
There is nothing in me that adds to the resume of Christ's righteousness. The only thing that I bring to the righteousness of God is my sin. So Paul says, I'm the foremost of sinners. Self-denial. I like how Tim Keller defines patience. Tim Keller says, patience is grace in the face of delayed gratification. Grace in the face of delayed gratification. Self-denial. Grace, it means that there is a standard that's not being reached, yet a love that never ceases. That's what grace is. God gave us grace. And by being in Christ, we are part of extending that grace to the world. And the idea of self-denial is really something straight out of the heart of God. God is the one that practices self-denial perfectly, and he's the only one that shouldn't have to. Psalm 103 says he does not treat us according to our sins deserve. 2 Peter 3, it says, I, I am not slow as some count slow, but I'm being patient. Patience means self-denial. And so when I might be tempted to blast you, crush you, be passive aggressive, or just block you, I endure with you by grace. I also like John Piper's definition of impatience. He says, impatience is a form of unbelief. It's what we begin to feel when we start to doubt the wisdom of God's timing or the goodness of God's guidance. What he's saying is, when you're impatient, you're not really upset about people or circumstances, you're really impatient with God. You're, you're really saying, how dare you to God? I like how Derwin Gray says, in the midst of longing for a better world, we're actually longing for God. And so the scriptures actually widen our gaze at what's actually happening here. You're upset about traffic but you're really longing for God. You're, you're upset about your marriage, but you're really longing for God. You're upset about school, but you're really longing for God. So James, he tries to, to bring our focus back to God. And he points us beyond circumstance to the coming of the Lord, to the purposes of the Lord. Because that's where we draw our patience from. And what I love about God is that he remains patient with me. Even when day by day I lose patience with him. And he invites us to have his perspective. With this assurance, 
all will be well. All will be well. In his timing, in his way, all will be well. Therefore, be patient. Let's pray. Lord, we confess that we don't trust your timing. We don't trust your guidance. We don't trust your presence. And that works its way out in all kinds of ways. One of those being, we're so angry. We're so angry because we're longing for change. Lord, would, would you lift our eyes and help us see that really we're longing for you and you give that to us. And that focus is what enables us to get to work. Holy Spirit, help us to bear this fruit in Jesus' name, amen.